0: The season opener at Louisville didn't exactly go according to plan.
1: We'll have to be better even uh, as a group in, in other areas. You know, we had penalties um, that, that kept drives alive. We had missed tackles. Um, you know, we're going to have to be on body and coverage a little bit better. So, there's, there, listen, there's a litany of things. It was a win on the road,
0: but we now are left with more questions than answers. Just how good will the 2019 Irish be? With ND on the rare week two buy, we get a chance to deep dive into figuring out what happened and what we can expect moving forward. Live from the Redeemer Radio 95.7 studios in the shadows of
2: the Golden Dome, this is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays.
0: Second Saturday of the college football season and Notre Dame isn't playing again. The Irish on the bye. Strange feeling, but then again, it was a strange feeling watching the Irish in action Monday night against Louisville. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. Angel DiCarlo alongside my broadcast partner, Kevin Downey. Notre Dame defeating Louisville 35-17 Monday night. And because they played on a Monday, the Irish off today back in action next Saturday in the home opener against New Mexico. Irish defense uh, looking brutal on the first two drives. And then after that, a lot of questions, maybe more so even about the Notre Dame offense. So, Kevin, uh, give me... uh Your thoughts that were running through your mind uh, during Monday's
3: game, and remember, this is a Catholic radio station, so please keep it clean. (laughs) Well, you try not to overreact, but I was just mystified. I mean, it was crazy. The things that we thought would be uh, strengths going into the season just didn't play out that way, especially in the first half. So if you want to be positive, maybe it was a a tale of two halves. They did do a a better job uh, the second half, but... Yeah, not what I expected at all. I was pretty disappointed.
0: It was, it was bizarre, and and I think that's the level that this program has been put to in the last two years in comparison to the last twenty years. Um, You know, obviously it's not the level of the national championships and everything like that, um, like people remember from uh, 30 and 40 years ago. But, you know, when you you get 10 wins and then you get to the playoff and back-to-back years, you're at the point where you think uh, this is a team that should go on the road against a a Louisville team that was only 2-10, has a new coach, and you should pound them and have no question about it and look good in the process, and win the game handily. And that's not what happened. They did not look good for a good majority of that game. There were pockets that were okay, but there was way more, hey, wait a minute, I didn't see that coming, than there was, okay, that seems about right.
3: Yeah, and it was sloppy. All first games are a little sloppy, but... um Man, there's are just so many questions. I literally watch the game like three times just to try to figure out where are we at? What's, what's going on with this team? And the bye week may be the best thing that they have going for them is to figure themselves out.
0: I was going to say, usually bye weeks uh, are about recovering from injury, retooling some things. You don't expect to have one in week two. But yeah, I mean, I, actually, here's my question. Is it better to have the extra time to figure it out? Or is this 12 days just throw them off in terms of getting into a flow of a season that all of a sudden, you know, they're going to play New Mexico next week and then all of a sudden Georgia's here. And I feel like maybe they just needed to be more of a flow of their routine. And I just don't know. I know they set the schedule to make it. It's a game week and all this type of stuff. But it's not the same as you play a game on a Saturday. You know, you come in and watch film on Sunday. You have your recovery day. You get back at it, and you you know, and you do the exact same thing. You you football people are nuts. You know, you have your routine. <laughs> we like that routine. You 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 get into it, and I I just feel like the way the schedule is shaped out, they were they don't really have a routine here early on in the year. And I, I don't think that's going to help him either. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's no way to know the answer to that. All right, on tap on this morning's show, our Focus on Faith segment is with a South Bend native who was the leprechaun during the 1993 Irish football season. Now he's a priest in Fort Wayne. Father Andrew Budzinski, you'll really enjoy this, including some really cool uh, Lou Holtz stories. Um, but, I mean, the majority of the show is going to be breaking down Monday night and figuring out where the Irish go from here in, in various places. Next game is against New Mexico uh, next Saturday. New Mexico is, of course, coached by Bob Davy, the former Notre Dame coach. Um, of note, he announced this week he will not uh, come up to South Bend to coach in the game versus Notre Dame. He suffered a, what, what they were calling a serious medical incident After the game uh, last week, um, he's back and doing okay. They posted a video of him returning to talk with his team. Um, He's coaching again. um, But, you know, doctor's just saying, um, you know, it's just probably not the smartest idea for him to to come up here and and we understand the demands of a football coach. Uh, You know, you're working
3: emotions are going back to where you were coach and where you spent a lot of your uh,
0: time. It's just probably just too much Um, and it's understandable. So he won't make uh, the trip up here next week. All right. Um, Last week, our poll question was how many wins would the Irish end up with 38% of you said 10 wins 37% said 11 or 12 wins. We asked the exact same question this week. The vote for 10 wins was up to 44%. The vote for 11 or 12 wins was down to 22%. My hunch is people saw what they saw Monday and are just having a hard time believing this team
3: will win at Georgia and at Michigan. Yeah, um, I know it's a Catholic radio station. I know I'm Mr. Positive, but I am blown away. I think, obviously, Georgia and Michigan are really tough games, but... If we don't get our house in order, I also worry about the USC, the Stanford. I don't know about the combination USC. of uh, Virginia, I don't know about Virginia USC type. with uh, JT Daniels going True out for quarterback the
0: year, out, but you know, Virginia, Stanford, yeah, those are those
3: quality are. opponents, and uh, we got to play
0: <laughs> a lot better. All right, all right, let's get into the specifics. Ian Book 14 of 23, 193 yards, a touchdown pass. 14 carries for 81 yards and a touchdown. Uh the numbers don't tell the story. He didn't look like last year's Ian Book.
3: No, his strengths last year were quick decisions, distributing the ball. I guess the uh the running he protected the ball last year too, right? He, they didn't have turnovers. It was just it was sloppy um and again, that was what a strength that we thought going in. I still think he's a very good quarterback. So, not to overreact, we just uh, he has to get back on track and get the other the offense rolling.
0: All right. Here, here's what Brian Kelly had to say about Ian Book after the game.
1: There were some uncharacteristic kind of flushing from a pocket that you know we hadn't seen from him. A lot of it had to do with seeing a defense for the first time. You know, it, he would have benefited much more from seeing it. Um, you know more you know this is the first time he saw the defense they ran a lot more cover two than he was used to they were in a stand-up defense trying to get it from the sideline we were playing fast they weren't set i'm not trying to sit here and make excuses for him but it wasn't it wasn't a first game uh where it was cookie cutter for him so there was a little rust there he'll be better for it in game two I just think he was getting out of things a little quick because there was some uncertainty and and maybe uh, thinking a little bit too much. He's just got to trust it, and and that'll come. Uh, But again, I think when we get into a little bit more of a familiar pattern of teams where we know what we're going to get, of course, you know, we're going to play seven teams that have bye weeks where, you know, we'll... (laughs) We'll, we'll kind of throw that out the window again, but um, we'll have a, a much more certainty of what he's going to see, and I think that's going to keep him a lot more um, poised in the pocket. He knows that he, he can be better, and it's he's we're not going to beat him with a shoe. I mean, it's one game. Um, he needs to be better. He knows that, and he will be better. Um, he's smart. He's athletic. You saw the first run he had. Um, he has changed his body. Um, Tommy will do a great job with him and getting him to, you know, see the bigger picture and run through his progressions. And I'm extremely confident that that will happen. All
0: right, he says he's trying not to make excuses, but he was making excuses for him. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. I mean, he just didn't play well. And I don't know. Uh, there's a difference, I guess, when you come in week four. You take over and you're the popular backup quarterback, yep. and and you hit the ground running, play well, and then from there you uh, you have the confidence to do it, and then you get a lot of hype. I'm not saying he's arrogant by any means. That's not what I mean. But there's an expectation. Um, you do the things you feel necessary, and you know you have now an expectation for yourself that you believe that. You're one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And I'm just wondering, did he put too much pressure on himself and he wasn't able to live up to his own expectations? And then once it started going wrong, he's thinking about that way too much. And now he's in his own head because that's the best scenario I got right now. Um, I don't know, you're the you're the coach, uh I know you don't always know what was going through the minds of your players, but what do you what do you think's going on with him? Why why did he have the struggles that he did?
3: Well, I, I think he's confident. Obviously, he has the ability. Um, he did a great job of getting lots of players involved last year, and the guys that we have uh, this year have not grown into a position to really help him out with that. I do think one of the strengths that the team of last year had, which again, now this is a whole new year, new identity, they were able to adjust and adapt and improve with their if their uh, areas of weakness. And I'd like to think that he and his personality had a lot to do with that. So I'm still an Ian Book believer, but uh, it was definitely kind of a wake up call, slap in the face, first game.
0: All right, uh, now coming into the year. You could put these in any order. You can maybe throw in another guy or two. But basically, Chase Claypool, Chris Fink, Cole Komet, Jafar Armstrong, Michael Young were expected to be the five skill players that were going to be the the biggest weapons that Book would go to. Well, we know Komet and Young have been out with collarbone injuries. And then Jafar Armstrong got injured early on in the game. He's now going to be out. Uh, five to eight weeks the uh, Pete Sampson of the Athletic was the first to report that he's got that growing abdomen injury that's going to put him out maybe nearly two months of the year. I I think that played a factor too. Again, I'm not trying to make excuses for a book either, but when you lose 60% of your top weapons, and that doesn't include Miles Boykin and Dexter Williams from last year, but, um, you know, and if you do throw in those guys – and Alize Mack. That's six of the eight best guys he had to go to last year yep. weren't on the field against Louisville.
3: That doesn't help either. Well, and he has a lot of young guys that have to go in. I guess thank goodness for Coach Kelly's next man in theory, because like you said, Anj, I mean, there's there are a whole new set of characters out there. Yep. I had to keep checking the uh the old roster just to see like who's twenty four, what's happening.
0: Well, okay, so here's the deal now. I mean, let's look at the positive real quick. We'll mention Tommy Tremble, three catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. He looked good. Chase Claypool's Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chris good. Fink, I mean, they got to figure out a way to get him back in the slot because he was non existent on the outside. And I think that is something. Uh, but now you got to worry about this running game. Um, and I'm questioning whether or not this can be a strength of this team. Uh, because, you know, you're going to have to rely on Tony Jones, 15 carries, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Jameer Smith, Sebo Flemister could see time. Kyron Williams maybe will see time. But now you're talking about guys that you're going to ask to be thrown in there. They're going to play against a a weak New Mexico team, and then they're going to get thrown to the Wolves on the road uh, at Georgia. I don't know what to expect from this run game over the next two months with Jafar Armstrong out. You were worried about it last week. And that was with
3: Jafar Armstrong. (laughs) And again, it's the next man in. We have, uh, what do we even know about these running backs? You know what I mean? They've had such uh, quality at at the running back position and explosiveness for a couple of years that obviously they recruit well. But these guys, uh, they're going to have to do a lot. A
0: lot. Well, they have not recruited as well at that position over the last several years, and that, that's kind of what maybe is biting them at this point. Uh, and, and here's the thing: the Irish were just two of seven on third and shorts in this game. That's you know third and four or less. Here's what Brian Kelly had to say about that after the game.
4: You know we've got to we, we've got to do a better job of, and and uh, coaching it, and uh, you know we're part of that process too, and. and you know, every third and short uh, needs to be evaluated in terms of our game plan as well. So we're, we're part of that as coaches as well. It's not just on the players, uh, because those are, you know, those are loaded boxes and and there's some of it comes down to um, individuals making plays uh, against unblocked hats as well. Um, So there's, there's a little bit of all of those things, Lou. In terms of that evaluation of your third down, third down package, are we calling the right plays? Um, are, are, do we have the right personnel in the game? Um, you know, are, are are we, you know, going to what we consider our strength? And we're we're kind of learning all that in the first game, so we can refine what our third down package looks moving forward.
0: Okay, I can't disagree with what he said there, uh, but I'll say this. Louisville's defense was one of the worst in the country last year, and I know they're not the same one. Brian Van Gorder is not there anymore. They gave up last year. The team that was giving up fifty points a game—that's not the same team. But it ain't all different. And that offensive line with four returning starters—they should have been able to be more dominant. That it should be doesn't matter who the running back was that you should be able to get two, three yards on third down and get a first down. Uh, And to not be able to do that against Louisville, that's a problem because you're not doing
3: that against Georgia. Well, and on paper, Notre Dame's offensive line should be a strength. Totally. They have – the one thing that they do that's a little bit different is that they they have basically tackle bodies, so big, tall, athletic guys across the board that should be able, again, to – to do whatever you need done against anyone. Now, Louisville did do one uh, interesting thing in that they had a big – their one legitimate big defensive lineman was head up right over the uh, center in that 3-4, and then they had lots of little speed guys that were just flying around. As he said on third down, that they blitz a lot and did a lot of different things, but, man, you'd, you'd like to think that they can just line up. So maybe it was that combo of the uh, dominant – one dominant defensive lineman against our one rookie – Again, questions. On paper, that should be a strength, and it just didn't feel like it during the game. Yeah, I, I don't know
0: offensively if anything felt like a strength. Uh, uh, all right, uh, we'll, we'll end that our chat pretty much there on, on the offense. Anything else that stood off offensively, though, that you want to jump in and add, or are you good?
3: Well, um, again, it, just kind of looking forward, the focus needs to be on Notre Dame, but— New Mexico does run a 3 4. And if everybody has off weeks, (laughs) I could see people trying to take little bits of that uh, same plan. And uh, so, Day Mass, figure it out and get ready. Yeah, if they have a problem against New Mexico, they got a lot of problems.
0: All right, one of my favorite places in Michiana is Fiddler's Hearth in downtown South Bend. Locally owned, family-friendly, scratch cooking, Sunday brunch, live music. Mention hearing about Fiddler's Hearth on this broadcast. You get 10% off your bill for food and soft drinks for your family. That's Fiddler's Hearth on Main Street in downtown South Bend. Uh, they do have a great Sunday brunch, so if you're uh, looking for great food and uh Tomorrow you can get on in there they have live music starting at 11am so you can or at noon i think it was uh, so you can get in there eat some breakfast then listen to some music grab a drink have a good time uh, also, want to let you know, it's a Battle of Unbeatens Friday night in our Tyrac High School Football Game of the Week as 3-0 Marion goes on the road to 3-0 Riley. Bob Berger, John Brock will join me for all the action. Tailgate Talk gets you started at 6 with the Tyrac Game of the Week to follow at 7. Next Friday is the Knights look to ride the momentum from last night's stomping of Kevin St. Joe Indians 41 nothing in the Holy War. Uh, Thanks
3: for bringing that up, Hunch.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I it s- happened. It was rough. It was not fan-friendly, if you're a St. Joe Indian fan, to, to say the least. But uh, I'm excited for this game uh, next Friday between Marion and Riley, so we hope you can join us here on Redeemer Radio 95.7. All right, so we've broken down the offense. Uh, we all know how this game started. <laughs> the brutal display from the defense out of the gate, and then they maybe did start to settle in. We'll dissect the state of the defense next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people
2: are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our
3: benefits?
0: Be sure to follow Redeemer Radio on social media. On Twitter, it's at 957 Sports, and on Facebook, search for Redeemer Radio 95.7 Sports. We'll have the latest on not only Notre Dame, but the high school front as well each and every day. All right, Notre Dame on the bye. Angel DiCarlo. Kevin Downey back with you. We talked about the offense last segment. We got a couple polls uh, on my Twitter account right now, so you can vote on in. We'll read some of the comments that uh, some of you have been tweeting at us this morning and throughout the week coming up later on in the show. Let's turn our attention now uh, to the defense, Kevin. We talked about the offense last segment, but uh, obviously the defense was uh, very scary on the first two drives. It looked like... um, it looked like anybody could have scored on them in those first two drives. It was just wide open, and Louisville just marched down. Uh, Juwan Pass was just running down uh, Notre Dame. They gave up the touchdowns in the first two drives. I mean, I don't know how they could have looked worse
3: than they did on their first two drives. Um, yeah, so Louisville had one legitimate offensive lineman and that big quarterback, <laughs> Joan Pass, and they uh, – Yeah, they managed to make Notre Dame look very, very average. So the thing, I guess, that scares me the most, right away you take the strengths. Supposed to be defensive line for the Irish. I did not come away with a good feeling at halftime like that is truly a strength. Um, Just kind of blown away by their underperformance. And then the linebacker level, we talked about it. We know everybody knows that they have people that have to step up and to get involved. I don't know who those people are. They may have to move around some some positions. And then I guess the one strength would be the safeties. However, in those first couple drives, there were some missed tackles. And, you know, I love Gilman. He's a great little playmaker and really emotional. But, I mean, one of those big plays, he slipped down as he was coming down um, from a safety position. So, yeah, scary. Scary. I, I mean, it was, it was disastrous in the first two drives. Now, then they
0: went eight straight drives. Without giving up points. And then in the end, it only just been an extra field goal. So, I mean, there could have been that gross overreaction to, oh my gosh, they're they're just walking all over us uh, by, by the fan base. But, it's not like those eight straight drives were three and out. Yeah. Uh, It was a lot of bending. They didn't break, which is, hey, if you bend and don't break, that's, you win every time. That's fine. Yeah, Belichick's been but, doing that for years, but <laughs> but they were bending that break in against a team that was two and ten last year.
3: Yeah, yeah. That
0: well, that same defense was breaking a whole lot against Georgia, Michigan, Stanford, and Virginia, and well, that 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 that's
3: the problem. And they were trying lots of different things. It wasn't like it was just a vanilla defense. Actually, when they did kind of just base up and and let the players play. They did a little bit better, but again, looking forward, big picture, they're going to have to get creative and uh, move people around and schematically, thank goodness Clark Lee's good because we're going to need his mind on this one. All right, linebacker, certainly one of the big question marks. Lots of players
0: rotating, as Kevin mentioned. Brian Kelly asked whether, hey, is that just the way it's going to be or are you just kind of figuring things out right now?
4: You know, I don't think you saw Jack Lamb on first down. You saw him on third down. Um, You know, you didn't see Drew White on third down. You saw him on first and second down. So, uh, but Jen Markeith played in rotation. Simon played in rotation. So it's a little bit of both uh, of of those things where there's clearly still competition, um, but there's also specific skill sets that we think that these guys have that we want to take advantage of. Um, You know, there's clearly for us uh, some work out there now that we've been able to evaluate from this game that, that allows us to move forward now with a a little bit more of a plan um, than we had maybe uh, before coming into this game. But again, to your point,
0: Kevin, they may have more of a plan, but it may not matter if you don't have the guys that are capable of doing it. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu karmoa had nine tackles at, at Rover, so that's a decent start. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew White had some good signs at times at, at middle linebacker, had five tackles, had some moments. I, I remember tweeting... Hey, you know what? Drew White settled in. He's looking yeah. pretty good. And then all of a sudden, uh, he's unable to cover a receiver who goes downfield and gets like a 40-yard gain, and you're like, oh, "All right, I'm great. I'm happy I <laughs> pointed that out." <laughs> and then, you know, Asmar Bilal, who was the starting rover last year, just kind of a question. I mean, was supposed to be the starting middle linebacker, mm-hmm. did not win the dr- that position. They move him over to buck and he, look, I you watch it with more of an analyst eye, being a coach. I don't see it as much because I'm watching everything, but here's the thing I noticed. I didn't really notice him, and the only times I did, and it wasn't good, so that's not a good sign for your one returning starter. You don't have Drew Tranquil or Tavon Coney this year. You don't have somebody you can rely on in the middle of your defense. There might be a week that Drew White is your best player. Yeah. There might be a week that Jeremiah Wilson carmo is your best player. There might be a week that it's none of these guys. And the problem is, I don't think there's any given week that you can assume any of these guys are going to be good.
3: Well, it was just so up and down. So, Drew White, again, you know, initially. He's super aggressive early downs. Uh, it almost looked like they're blitzing him every play. Then he had that one pass breakup, and I'm like, oh well, for he can he can be a complete player. <laughs> I don't know if I read your tweet or not, but yeah, then he gets burned, and then the same thing with uh, Bilal. Sorry, it's just a rough one to say. But he, you know, I, I kept thinking, well, where is this guy? And then there was a little breakaway. He does have speed. He tracked down um, and got a tackle, but that's from behind. It wasn't it wasn't downhill at all. And, you know, the other guys, Jack Lamb, the uh, man, all those guys, they do have to get creative, but at the same time, they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to have more from their defensive line to protect those linebackers, to start to get something stopped at the first level, not breakaways or 10-yard gains.
0: All right, let's talk about the defensive line. I mean, Khalid Kareem, Julian Aquara, I get it, Jerry Tillery, is he was a monster. Big guy, Jonathan Bonner, maybe very underrated. Maybe, maybe the most underrated player on last year's team. Mm-hmm. We heard the soundbite from Kurt Heinisch last week that we're going to be just as good as we were last year, and not so sure about that. And I'm not pinning that on Kurt Heinisch, mm-hmm. but Myron Taglovo Mosa was not bad. Kurt Heinisch was okay, but overall, that defensive line should have dominated this game should have dominated
3: this game oh there the should be no question yeah for sure and again they had Louisville has their own issues uh
0: but that's my that's but come on
3: <laughs> exactly defensive end there should have been a pass rush that was lights out there was even sometimes where the Louisville did a lot of option stuff where they wouldn't even block those Defensive ends who are playmakers and fast and can do anything—they look more like the old linebackers than they do the old-time uh, D linemen. But they took that their athleticism and and made it a uh, an advantage. Last year's defensive
0: line would have obliterated Louisville Monday night, obliterated them. And the two best players from there, your ends, who are you know high first-round yep. potential picks—they're both back. How and that, now? I get it, and maybe the answer is maybe you should maybe you need to put Dalen Hayes on the inside. I mean, he's he's probably your third best defensive lineman, and yep. he's unfortunately a backup because Kareem and Akora are so good. Maybe maybe you got to get him in the game more. But I, and I don't know what you do, but I mean, or maybe it's as simple as this: Acquah and Kareem got to play better. These guys are supposed to be, they're your two best players on your entire team. They're better than Ian Book. They're their two best players. Those guys should be destroyed. Those are the guys that people should be fearing. Those are the guys that are on Clemson, on Georgia, on Alabama. That everyone goes, Phew, I don't know how you're going to stop those guys. Yep. And I would have never have known that watching Monday Night. If I was a novice fan that has not watched Notre Dame, well. I would have never known. Two of the best defensive ends in the country were on
3: we're Notre, on the Notre field. Dame. Yeah, yeah. I, that that's the problem. Well, and so they on the inside, they did a lot of movement. They tried to, and maybe that's to help cover up the weakness at linebacker. But, yes, expectations are high for those two defensive ends. And to have two, not just one, I mean, that should be moving forward what you can build on, but they have got to perform.
0: All right. I didn't expect to go off on attention there on the <laughs> defensive line. All right, uh, real quick, the one positive. Again, you mentioned the secondary um, I, I, Kyle Hamilton looks pretty darn good, man. Yeah, he lived up to the hype. As the, the, I think they're trying to get him in more. And maybe I don't know how you mix it up with a, you know, a nickel or a dime. Uh, but maybe you just put Kyle Hamilton in a lot more, and uh, <laughs> you only play two linebackers. I don't know if that would work against Georgia. Uh, making feeling like it probably wouldn't, but. Maybe you just got to get your best 11 on the field. No,
3: I'm believing in Kyle Hamilton. I think the hype may be worth it, but we'll see. It's first game, but how crazy is this idea? If you're having that much trouble at linebacker, why don't you take my man Gilman and just put him down at the linebacker level where they have him end up making plays and sinking him down a lot, get another athlete on the field and Kyle Hamilton? I don't know. I mean, there's. The, too- I talk about substitute uh, or sub packages. That's That's kind of the direction they need to go. Is he – too small against especially
0: against, i know he can do it against new mexico yeah and it, it will he get eaten up by georgia though
3: i think that he's crafty enough and fast enough and physical enough um that he could survive in there. But again, (laughs) Notre Dame coaching staff doesn't call uh, Kevin Downey very often for (laughs) advice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you like all things Notre
0: Dame, be sure to stay tuned for Church Life today. Coming up right after us, Lenny D. Lorenzo, the McGrath Institute for Church Life is your host. That's next here on Redeemer Radio with replays tonight at 6 and Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. All right. Coming up. So can the Irish run the table? We will find that out. We'll talk about that later on. It's not feeling good after the way we've talked about for the last 33 minutes. But up next, he's a South Bend Washington alum, was a leprechaun for the 93 Irish, and now he's a priest. Our Focus on Faith segment is with Father Andrew Budzinski, a conversation you won't want to miss. It's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays.
2: It's one of the best seasons of the year right now, mostly in my mind because it's football season. Well, it's a good time of year unless you're a Purdue fan. Sorry, still put something in the basket, okay? All right.
0: That is Father Andrew Budzinski. Uh... Pastor at St. John the Baptist in Fort Wayne, South Bend, Washington alum, went to Notre Dame, leprechaun on the 1993 team. He worked in radio for a few years, and when he was 30, he got the call to become a priest. Here's our Focus on Faith segment with Father Andrew Budzinski. I mean, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, people wonder how we have a priest that is used to be a Notre Dame leprechaun, so why don't you uh, just take us through how a former Notre Dame leprechaun eventually becomes a priest?
2: God works in mysterious ways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, former leprechaun turned priest. When, When I was in college, I was Notre Dame obsessed, and I'd grown up in South Bend all my life, and wanted to go to Notre Dame all my life. And when I was getting close to applying for Notre Dame, I thought, maybe I'll be the leprechaun. I was the shortest in my class. And well, that's, you know, something short people can do, I guess, be the leprechaun. And um, during that time in my life, you know, I was the leprechaun. Uh, It was just what my heart revolved around was Notre Dame football. uh, To be honest with you, I was, Catholic, grew up Catholic, baptized Catholic. I went to Mass every Sunday uh, in our chapel at St. Ed's Hall there next to the Golden Dome, but I didn't think about priesthood at all. Um, I didn't really start thinking about priesthood until my uh, mid-twenties, and I was just kind of like uh, a punch-the-card Catholic. I showed up for Mass on Sunday, and and that was about it. I had actually fallen away from, like, the Sacrament of Reconciliation for over 10 years. And I just thought to myself, you know, life, there's more to life than this. And I went back to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, uh, unloaded 10 years of sin on the priest. I remember when I walked in there, I said, (laughs) forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been over 10 years since my last confession. And this was at Notre Dame, actually. And the priest said, I've got nowhere else to be. Oh, it was so wonderful to hear that. And wouldn't you know, pretty much as soon as I had that confession, I started thinking about being a priest. <laughs> it was like a drain had gotten unclogged, and finally the Lord was just kind of able to, to step in there. And I started to fall in love with my Catholic faith uh, more and more, started to pray more, went to Mass more frequently at the Basilica at Notre Dame uh, on my way to and from work. And I just started thinking about the priesthood more and more. Like Notre Dame football, it became something that my heart revolved around. Finally, it got to the point where it's like I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I said, okay, I have to at least go talk to the vocations director. So I went back to Monsignor Gaelic and I said, hey, I'm thinking about this. And then I continued to pray about it for another year. And then I entered seminary. And tested, you know, discerned is this God's will for my life. And seminary was six years, and uh, turns out it was His will for my <laughs> life. Then I was ordained a priest at thirty-seven.
0: Unbelievable. If I now, if I would have told you in nineteen ninety-three when Notre Dame's beating Florida State and you're on the sideline as uh, the leprechaun um, that you're, you know, eventually going to become a priest, what what would you have said? <laughs> I'm not sure. That's a great question. You know, you want to say, oh, no way. But,
2: but maybe I would have went, huh, wow, some things really changed in my life. You know, at one point, I remember hearing someone say, if you could do anything without any fear whatsoever, what would you do? And I remember clearly saying, I'd be a priest. Huh. I think what was preventing me from being a priest was fear. You know, fear of not being able to be married, have children of my own, fear of just all the things that a priest has to do and has to face and be responsible for. But once those fears were eliminated, or
0: at least not dwelt upon, uh, priesthood became much more attractive. Father Andrew Brzezinski of South Bend, now uh, a priest in Fort Wayne, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, is our guest here on Focus on Faith on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, we mentioned that you were the Leprechaun during that uh, famed 1993 season. Um, what was that year like, and what was it like to to be that close to the action and, and to be the Leprechaun during um, really the—, the the last great year until obviously 2012 and then last season when uh, the Irish were in the mix. Mm -hmm.
2: You know, I remember at the very beginning of that season, somebody was interviewing me and they said, how's Notre Dame going to do this year? I said, we're going to go undefeated and win the national championship. And that might've been just, you know, optimism without, you know, a lot of backing. But I remember actually believing that I remember thinking to myself, why can't we, why can't this team, Well, the first big test that year was Michigan. It was up away at Michigan. I forget what they were ranked, but we were below them. We were something like maybe 14th, and they were 6th or 7th or something like that. And we came away with a win. And I said, there isn't a reason why we can't beat every team. I mean, back then, when Lou Holtz was the coach, the expectation was that we are going to win, or at the very least, be competitive in every single game. So there wasn't really a a good reason not to believe that we couldn't win every single game. Well, when you're the leprechaun and this is the chance, (laughs) you know, this is your year uh, to be a part of the whole thing. Well, you want to win the whole thing. So we just kept going week after week after week, winning every single game. And it was turning out exactly like I expected. Hey, this is what I said would happen, this is why I wanted to happen. Yeah, sure, of course. We're winning everything. We beat Florida State. Yeah, great. What was totally unexpected was that loss to Boston <laughs> College the next week. And that was humiliating, you know, in the, in the most literal sense of the word. It was very humbling. Um, so that was not expected at all.
0: Father Andrew Bodzinski is joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, former leprechaun for Notre Dame, now priest in Fort Wayne. And, and Father Andrew, uh, you were the leprechaun at at the time. Great times with uh, Lou Holtz as the head coach. Uh, do you have any uh, favorite loose stories that you could share with us?
2: Yes. So as soon as I was named the leprechaun, one of the first things I did was I wrote a letter uh, to Lou Holtz and I asked to have a meeting with him. Now you might ask, "Oh, what about?" I had no plan. I just wanted to have a meeting with Lou Holtz and I <laughs> thought being a leprechaun was enough cred to get me in his office. So a week later his secretary calls me and she said, yeah, coach Holtz got your letter. He wanted to know what you wanted to meet about. And I totally made up something there on the spot. I said, well, I want to get together with him because I've got some new ideas for the pep rally. And as you know, the leprechaun MC the pep rally. Um, but I wanted to run them past him first and also ask him what he wants for the pep rallies, yada, yada, yada. And she goes, okay, we'll put you down for Tuesday at (laughs) 2. And I go, and I've got a meeting with Lou Holtz. And he comes up to the waiting room, grabs me. We go back to his office, and we're sitting there having a meeting. And he gave me like a half hour of his time. And we were talking about all sorts of stuff. Um, we were talking about the pep rallies, the upcoming season, and I also was sitting there going, I can't believe he's giving me any of his time. I'm wasting his time completely here. <laughs> but he, he spent a half hour with me, and he was very, very gracious. The other awesome story with Lou Holtz was about um, five years into my priesthood, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I get this card from him in the mail, and it just said, I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of you, of the path you've taken in life and the career that you've chosen. I couldn't be more proud of you if you were elected president of the United States. And he said, we're both in the same business. We're keeping people out of hell. Sincerely, Lou Holtz. I was just blown away. You know, I hadn't talked to him in years. And I think what happened was a parishioner of mine ran up to him or saw him somewhere and said, oh yeah, our priest is, you know, your former leprechaun. And he took the time uh, to write a note and to look at my address or whatever that happened. And it was just so incredibly gracious and kind and unnecessary, but that's just the type of person he is. He's, he's just an outstanding, outstanding person.
0: Those are two great stories. Father Andrew Budzinski, the pastor of St. John the Baptist in Fort Wayne, a South Bend native and former leprechaun for the Notre Dame football team, joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Uh, circling back to your your current role as a priest, uh, you still are uh, incorporating uh, Notre Dame football a little bit. I, I noticed your homily last week about humility. You brought up uh, the movie Rudy.
2: Well, there's this great scene in Rudy where. After two years, it's his last chance to transfer to Notre Dame, and he asks Father Kavanaugh, um, his mentor, um, have I done everything that I can do? Um, Can you help me? And Father Kavanaugh says, son, in 35 years of religious studies, I have come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. (laughs) That statement right there, there is a God and I'm not him, is the definition of humility. Humility is when we can see who we are in relation to God. God is great, and he formed us out of nothing. Without God, we would be nothing. But we're the nothingness that he breathes his life into. He shares his own life with nothingness. So that we can become his beloved sons and daughters. And that's very humbling to know that we come from nothingness, but we have the life of God within us. That's humbling. That's the definition of humility, to see oneself in relation to God.
0: You're listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturday. So this is our Focus on Faith interview. Our guest is Father Andrew Budzinski. He's a South Bend native, Washington alum, uh, and former leprechaun for Notre Dame football. Did you uh, get a chance to watch the Louisville game? I watched the opening drive, um, (laughs) and I just thought, wow, we're going to mow over
2: every single team this year. And then it got difficult. So I watched about the first three quarters of the game, and then I had to go to bed because I had the 8 o'clock mass the next morning.
0: Any, uh, any unholy thoughts go through your mind during uh, certain moments of that game when things weren't going well? <laughs>
2: yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, it's funny. Notre Dame can bring out the best and worst in us, can it?
0: <laughs>
2: I, I don't watch the games precisely the way I used to. Um, <laughs> my buddy, when I was in the seminary, my first year there, we were watching a Notre Dame football game and Notre Dame fumbled and I stood up and I grabbed the pillow and I was slamming it against the couch. And he just thought I had serious problems. And the reality is I did. It just brought out much more of the worst in me back then than the
0: best of me. Uh, now want to ask you finally, you know, do you feel being a leprechaun helped you, um, now as, as you are, you know, now being a priest, did, did those years doing that help you?
2: I think so. Um, in fact, I would say I have no doubt that it helped me, you know, in simple ways, like um, being in front of a crowd and having to speak to a crowd and energizing them, you know, to do something, uh, to believe in something. But, um, you know, when I was leprechaun, I was devoted Uh, To Notre Dame and to Notre Dame football. It was the love of my life. And I just wanted to be completely surrounded by it. And that allowed me to be surrounded by it in a way very few people get to experience. And then uh, I traded in a lesser love for a greater love, um, God and his church. And I do similar things. I have to be in front of people, and preach the good news of the gospel of Christ's life, death and resurrection for our salvation. That's the greatest victory of all. Um, and it's everlasting. We're never going to have another losing season. We're going to fumble every now and then like we do, you know, in recent history, but Christ always wins. God always wins. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, that experience did help me prepare in some small way for priesthood.
0: Father Andrew, thank you very much, and we hope uh, you get up to a game sometime soon. Thank you
2: so much, Angelo. Good to be with you.
0: Father Andrew Bidzinski, uh pastor in Fort Wayne now, South Bend, Washington High School alum, former Notre Dame leprechaun. Uh, really enjoyed that. We, we, you know, we had Quite to do a character. He <laughs> definitely is. We we had to do some edits. That was a longer interview. We had to uh, squeeze it down a little bit. But uh, I love those Lou Holt stories. Those are oh. fantastic.
3: Oh, and then the you know it's true. Notre Dame football does bring out the best and worst in you.
0: I, I love I, that he did admit that he had some <laughs> unholy thoughts during the Louisville game. Yeah,
3: I may have to go a confession. Huh? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright, our title sponsor for Irish sports Saturdays is Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. When you open an elevate membership at Notre Dame FCU, you'll get $50 in your new account, another $50 for an eligible nonprofit like a Catholic high school, a parish, or even Redeemer Radio. You raise share our values, why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Alright, coming up, we're going to read through some of the comments that uh, many of you have posted on our tweets asking you uh, all our poll questions. I'm um, What concerns you most about the Irish? Uh, How are you feeling about the Irish now? And how many wins, now that you've seen them play one game, will the Irish end up with this season? That's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Join Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne, South Bend, every Wednesday at noon for his weekly show, Truth in Charity. On each episode, he joins host Kyle Hyman to discuss key issues facing Catholics in the diocese and beyond. Then he answers questions submitted by listeners. If you would like to submit a question, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We want to thank Tyrac for being such great supporters of Redeemer Radio. The folks at Tyrac underrate our internship program with high school students from Marion and St. Joe. We had five, well, we had three different interns out at our games last night. More tires, great pricing, visit TireRack.com. All right, right, I'm DiCarlo, Kevin Downey with you, and uh, go through some of the responses from our Twitter polls from this week. Um, let's start with what concerns you most. Um, I asked, uh, gave you three choices, linebackers, run game, Ian Book, and then threw in an other. Uh, what, what are you uh, picking there, Kevin? What do you got? Uh, linebackers, run game, Ian Book, or other?
3: I still believe in Ian Book, but he made me nervous. The other would be about everybody else. Uh, (laughs) Not to overreact, but oh my gosh, just lots of questions.
0: All right, well, Ian Book won it with 48% of the vote. Mm. Linebackers had 35%, run game 11%. Um, And the Irish fan says, though, run defense. Louisville was able to run all over the defense. Georgia will run for 500 if they don't get it fixed. I can't disagree. No, good point. That's a very good point. Corbett wrote in, Ian Book looked very skittish. One read and then take off, and this wasn't Clemson's defensive line. It was like he was preoccupied with the pass rush before the ball was even snapped, even when he wasn't really under pressure all day.
3: Another good point.
0: Can't disagree with (laughs) that. All right, we also asked, how many wins do the Irish end up with at the end of the year? Uh, 11 or 12 wins, 10 wins, 9 wins, or 8 or fewer were our choices last week- 37% of you said 11 or 12 wins. That's now down to 22%. 10 wins went from 38% to 43%. And 9 wins from 18% to 22%. 8 or fewer wins, 7% to 13%. Marcus wrote, uh, Unless Book suddenly gains the ability to throw accurate beyond 15 yards, this team doesn't beat Georgia and if the defense doesn't learn to be in position, they don't beat U of M either. I'll give the defense a first-game pass, but I'm concerned about the QB at this point. Uh, yeah, can't disagree with that one either. Um, but I'm going to give the QB a pass uh, on the first game, yep. and I'm more concerned with the defense is kind of where I'm looking at. Okay, where do you stand on how many wins the Irish? You Last week you uh. said 12-0. National champions,
3: Catholic radio station, I know, Ange, I know, and I, I did get a little flack from that, but I guess I have to separate the difference in hope. Obviously, I hope they win national championship, but expectations in reality, I think they have a lot of questions. I, I hope that they get to the 10 wins. I think that there's going to be about six games Ooh. that are going to be tested. Ooh. We talked about the big two. But you know, again, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and then the California deal, USC without a quarterback, but Stanford's tough too. It, just so many questions. We we got to
0: see. All right, uh, one more poll. Que- By the way, I'm sticking to ten and two. I, I I'm hedging to nine and three, but I'll stick with ten and two. I You're won't. You're not hitting the panic I, button. I'm not going to overreact. All right. They are who I thought they were. <laughs> Uh, no, they aren't exactly, but no. whatever. All right, uh, one final question to squeeze in on Twitter. We asked, uh, how are you adjusting your expectations for the Irish after the game? Were you, are you more excited, just as excited, less excited, or I'm worried? 35% just as excited still won the poll, but 34% I'm worried, 26% less excited, 5% more excited Uh, C. Cush 574 said offense is a grave concern to be honest defense will mull non-mobile QBs and uh, Brandon Haynes wrote I think this game was an obvious trap game I am worried on both sides of the ball because they were so back and forth Maybe playing New Mexico will be a good thing to help them establish dominance and build their confidence All right, I don't think it was a trap game, but are you more excited just as excited less excited or worried?
3: I am worried Because it's so much fun in South Bend, Indiana when Notre Dame football is relevant, good on the national scene. It's so exciting, and I'm just worried that that may not be the case.
0: All right, I'm going to go with I'm less excited for the season for the Irish. All right, that's going to do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. If you missed a part of our show, we will put... Post the podcast in just a little bit. Just search Irish Sports Saturdays wherever you listen to podcasts to download it. And please give us a five-star review when doing so. Thanks to our audio operator today, Matt Florian. For Kevin Downey, I'm Angel DiCarlo. The Irish are on the bye this week. We'll be back in action next Saturday in the home opener against New Mexico. And we'll be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. right here on Redeemer Radio, 95.7 FM to preview it all. We close our show with a prayer from one of the Irish team chaplains. This is Father Mark Thiesing, chaplain for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. Let us
2: pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. Go Irish! Go Irish!
0: This has been a presentation of Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Imagine a world with no poverty, a world where everyone has food to eat, clothes to wear and is able to make rent each month. The St. Vincent de Paul Society is working towards that goal. We are committed to ending poverty by serving our community one neighbor at a time. We have seen the power one person can have on those we serve. Join us in the fight against poverty. Visit svdpsb.org or call 234-6000 for more information.
2: We spend money on extras in our life. That extra cup of coffee, the extra screen on our Netflix subscription, or that extra fee for faster shipping. But what if the bit of extra you give was more than a temporal gratification? By giving a little of your extra to Redeemer Radio, you are investing in the eternal. Souls are being changed every day because of what is being broadcast through the airwaves. Be a part of someone's conversion. Give a little extra to Redeemer Radio.